1: Welcome to three, a show about Federer, Nadal and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel podcast network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. This is a show that is meaningful and uh, one that, man, brings a lot. Uh, Roger Federer has announced that Laver Cup next week will be the end of his competitive tennis career. Um, he announced it on social media and, and look, I just want to say right off the bat, it feels so daunting to try to say everything that we want to say about Roger Federer in this podcast. In fact, it's so daunting. We know it's impossible and it's never going to happen. The Roger Federer, uh, discussion and, and our, our feelings on, on him and, and what he's meant to so many aspects of the things we discuss on this show, uh, in episodes to come, we will continue to work on this. But for now, let's dig into this immediate news, um, Amy and Joel. Amy, you and I, I know specifically, after that Wimbledon match against Hurkacz, we were very confident that that wasn't the end. And in retrospect, we were not correct. What happened here? <laughs>
2: First of all, it wasn't. He's playing Labor Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know if he knew if it was the end or not. He needed to go through this process. And I just wanted to listen to what he was saying. And and I think I was justified or correct in, in what I said, because it's taken over a year for him to come to this conclusion. Um, you know, I spoke to my brother this morning who we've had on this show. He's a surgeon and he himself has had knee surgery. And, you know, I, I said, what's, what's really the deal here? Why did Roger have to retire other than the obvious of age? And, you know, it, it it's a cartilage and Injury that there's no simple fix for it, Um, knee replacement may be in his future. And right now at this point in time, medical technology does not have Andy Murray's hip replacement notwithstanding and Tommy john surgery on an elbow for major league baseball players notwithstanding, we just don't have a good fix for cartilage injury right now. So he Federer probably saw what Serena just went through, which is a very positive retirement send off and decided that perhaps this was the right time.
3: Do you think he, um, I wonder how he thought about it, his body and his reacting, whether it's the practicing and the pain. I mean, he obviously so wanted to play and it was so unclear. I mean, we knew this day would come. We've known this for a while but it's still kind of striking isn't it it's just kind of jarring
1: yeah i mean i I think what ended up happening was you know the the false comeback in 2021 right and i i say it was a false comeback because you know he didn't come back only to go have more knee operations right and that's why it was kind of a false comeback um this next phase was kind of a medical Hail Mary, is kind of how how I see it, and you know the fact that Roger isn't playing Basel is so telling to me about where his knee is at because uh, obviously he wants to play Basel, but he can't play singles right now is what that tells me, and and he's gonna go to Laver Cup and he's gonna get to take the court in you know the this the environment and, and with the, the, the all-time greats that he has um, shared his career with. And he's going to get that moment, which will be meaningful. But in reality, we know, or I would anticipate that the, the knee is, is not good. At the end of the day, Joel, the body said no moss here. and And of all the different kinds of retirements that we see from athletes, this is one of them, right?
3: This is the most important. This is the usual one. Yeah. This is usually the one. It's the body tells you and the body tells you in certain ways. And we don't know the extent of, does the body mean can't play at all? Does the body mean can't play for too long? Does the body say can't practice? I mean, that's also a big thing in tennis. Um, in tennis, you got to be able to play the whole game. So it's a whole different kind of ending of the career. I mean, in the team sports, they have to be ready to go. But in the team sports, they can become role players, they can play a few minutes, they can kind of manage it, but you really can't do that. You can't do that at all in tennis. So I will probably learn at some point from Federer what that meant. And it's probably all of those things together. I couldn't practice too long, couldn't play long, Could just the body's not cooperating.
2: Gil, it's interesting to me that you see that last few months that he played in 2021 as a false comeback because i kind of see it as a last burst of a, of a shooting star because i really enjoyed that last burst i mean i got so much enjoyment out of watching roger's few last matches at roland garros and the wimbledon run to the quarterfinals so um I don't really see it as a failed comeback or anything like that. It's just um, a very cool moment in in a storied career, if not the best moment, still a very cool moment.
3: I'm going to be the King Solomon here and say you're both right. It was both, right? There's some chances to see him and it's telling. And we, we look for these signs. We look for these signals of things. Like, I mean, Amy, you're always good at seeing a tweet of a tennis player practice. Oh, wait a second. Mm, Not quite sure if he's up for it. So, It was all part of it. And it was just, I mean, the last few matches of his career and, and who knows? I mean, I think sure we're holding out hope he's going to be ready in 2023. He's going to be back. And then he knew better than all of us as he has all along. Um, I think it's just in Gil, we were talking about this your whole life. You've never not known Roger Federer as a professional tennis player. Correct.
1: That's very correct. It's extremely correct. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
3: How does that feel? How does that feel? I mean, that's an, that's, Different for you than it is for uh, I'm older than you, obviously. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know that I've fully processed it. Um, I I felt similar with Serena a couple weeks ago, uh, where uh, I haven't known a world without Serena, uh, but just thinking about all of the influences that that Roger has had on me, it, it's very very significant because you know the those formative years you are more impressionable than. Any yep. of your remaining years, and that impression uh, was this era of tennis with with the big three, right? I, I want to get into all of our our you know some of our most cherished memories and Roger and stuff, but um, going back to some of the more uh, retirement specific stuff, he penned a, a, a pretty long uh, message. He thanked a lot of people. Uh, It was it was very comprehensive. It was not short. I want to give us a, a chance to respond to that. Was there anything that he said that that particularly caught your eye, Amy? (laughs)
2: <laughs> you mean like thanking the sponsors no I'm, I'm I mean... kidding <laughs> I, I just I'm going to answer that question I just want to take a second to acknowledge all our Federer fans around the world including those who like Federer and respect him but maybe aren't a huge fan um, they may be feeling like an emptiness today like I feel that way I feel like It was being hit by a a slow moving bus or something. You knew it was coming. You saw it down the road. It's coming toward you, but it doesn't hurt. The impact does not hurt any less. It's still a really hard day for a lot of people. Um, He meant a lot to so many people. In terms of his message, I mean, I thought it was typical Roger. He didn't forget anybody, he didn't leave anyone out. It was eloquent, it was polished it was well done and, and pretty indicative of who he is as a person.
3: Well, his appreciation for the game, I think one of the things of his biggest legacies, how much he, uh, big part of his legacies, how much he just loves the game overall and the respect and the regard he has for it. And it's fitting enough that the event that he's going to play next is an event he created to honor another legend in Rod labor. So his whole, his whole kind of 360 engagement and appreciation with the sport, people who play it his own i mean look we've seen over the years uh gil before amy and i met you we were doing our podcast remember amy that that video that we saw was on periscope of roger practicing and he was like a 14 year old boy just going out to play and working on his moves and doing his stretches and i think the joy the joy i mean that's kind of nice too i mean we see athletes like all of us go through periods of being jaded and and being um you know, upset. And and that was never Roger. I mean, there are periods obviously of, of challenge and struggle for him, but never this period. Oh my God, why am I still even playing? And I mean, and so, and I think he, he praised his relationship with the fans for that too, them to him, him to them, the whole tennis world. I mean, it's so global. It's no wonder this guy was once the second most popular man in the world behind Nelson Mandela.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love that nugget. and And yeah, you're right. It never felt hard for him. What stood out to me in his uh, message is that twice he went out of his way to tell everyone that he wasn't done playing tennis, that he wasn't going to play on the tour, that he wasn't going to play any grand slams, but he was not, but he was still going to play more tennis. And he said that in, I think the second paragraph so early, and then he ended it that, you know, he said like, I love tennis and I will never leave it. I will always be a part of it. Um, and to me, you know, it kind of reinforced something that I've thought for a while, which is that Federer is, nev- is not going to be dependent on the tours uh, in- in- to sanction his tennis matches. He can sanction his own match. He is a tour unto himself. And I think, uh, I think we will see, you know, a part of me wants to be sad that Roger didn't get the Serena sendoff, you know, at Wimbledon or, or wherever he would want it to be, even at Basel, whatever, right? That, he, that he's not going to get that. And he's going to go to kind of this, this sudden two day long in an arena. Um, it, it, it has its own charm to it, Lever Cup, but it's not Wimbledon, right? At the same time, I feel confident that we are going to get more f- opportunities and everyone and his fans around the world are going to get opportunities to celebrate him.
3: Play an exhibition. Did he play an exhibition in South America? Um, Del Potro, 45,000 people. What was the size of that one? Well, guys, uh, in,
1: in in Cape Town, in Cape Town, he got fifty five thousand.
3: All right, so all right, let's 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 have let's start the auction. Do I hear sixty? Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What do you guys think? You think? Do you think, could Roger Federer play tennis in front of a hundred thousand people?
2: Well, he's doing something with the princess, right, um, Kate Middleton. He's doing a charity thing with her coming up so between the two of them that could be pretty big
3: i just wonder if federer could fill a stadium of 100,000 people who could play with bill gates <laughs> like he yeah. like the time i saw him play some exhibition with bill gates against uh i forget who else was in it but uh i don't know I, I, that, that is nice to hear and it'll be interesting to see what shape that takes that said that said the the competitive rogers we know him i think we won't be uh that's sad
2: Gil, yeah. can I say something about Laver Cup? Um, yes, it, it, ideally Roger would have said goodbye at Wimbledon, but they did just have this Wimbledon ceremony and he showed up in a suit and looked fantastic and was fetted and, and all that. Um, but there is something special and cool about Laver Cup, you know let's forget the marketing and business aspects that he was involved in launching it. No, that's, that's just sort of what it is, but what is the cool thing about saying goodbye at this particular event at this particular time that relates to our show?
1: They're all going to be there.
2: That's right. What perfect, right? Because just as he, of course, has his own legacy and achievements and accomplishments, he is also part of this triumvirate that is unprecedented in sport. So in a way, it does kind of fit. And I think it's fabulous that hopefully, if, if everything's okay with Nadal and his wife and all that, hopefully Djokovic and Nadal will be there to, to properly celebrate him.
1: Yeah, a part of me wonders if Nadal would have even gone had Roger Federer not made this announcement. Well, that's
3: true. We were talking about that last time. We were wondering about what Nadal's autumn is going to be like, and then we said, well, it's a plane to London, and let's see. And yeah, so right, it's kind of like a, uh, it's like the Beatles on the rooftop or one kind of look at them to see together. Boy, that's going to be some uh, some set of photo ops and doubles and practice. And, and the great thing is the Labor Cup kind of configured itself for that kind of inside look at these tennis players, all the cameras and the talking and the coaching. And uh, yeah, that's going to be really fun to see. And I think it's going to show yet again, Roger's delight in tennis in all of its formats
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's transition maybe to, and I think this will be a, a, an easier thing to talk about um, and an easier thing to listen to as well and, and watch uh, for everyone. Uh, what, what makes Roger Federer so so unique and special to this game? And uh, a lot of people are going to talk about the numbers. The numbers are cool. We all know the numbers for, for each one of the big three. Uh, but going beyond that, Uh, there is something incredibly connective and uh, something infectious uh, where the tennis itself that Roger was able to play was something that meant a lot and was very gravitational for a lot of players out there. Joel, what do you think that thing was about, you know, why, why, Why was Federer's tennis itself uh, so fan-friendly?
3: Federer's game was as complete as any player who played. And so what you get to see with the fun of tennis is seeing players smoothly win many points in many ways. And who created more of a highlight reel of different ways, of different combinations, of different sequences. We like seeing that and doing it with with such grace and balance. I mean, people who didn't even know tennis at all could connect with what Feder did on the court, the Baryshnikov movements, the smoothness, um, all these different ways and these different ways. And also there was something very um, clinical in a comfortable way. Like I've written about this a million times. Federer's opponents, even themselves, even the people he beat, they weren't so much beaten. You play Nadal, you're competing. You play Federer, you're being dissected. It's like Oh, he has your file. He'll be with you shortly. And then the player himself, the opponent even became a witness to like, look what this guy's just doing to me. I'm going to be able to tell my grandparents. I was someone who played the game as complete as any, my grandchildren, as, as uh, complete as anyone who ever played the game. And that, isn't that incredible? Look at our sport. And it's showing this way of taking our sport to a, a level of proficiency. I mean, that's what the super genius is. I mean, I've studied the geniuses over the last hundred years and they, They take it to a new level and they carry a lot of other things with them. I mean, you see the whole history of the game with Federer and then he moves it forward to create his own. So that's part of what made him, um, I mean, no tennis player has been swooned over more than Roger Federer. Right.
1: Amy, what did you love about his tennis?
2: There's just a quality that has yet to be really put into words. Although tip of a cap to you, Joel, that was really good what you just said. There's a magic or a way that he moves or a way that he does it that is paradoxical to his stone cold dominance. It's like, wow, how can something be so beautiful and elegant and light and ethereal and so just like mean and the way that he, he beat everybody up, down and all around. So it, it was the, the way that he did it and the combination of those two factors that um, really make him the great that he is.
3: Well, in that sense, and you look at other athletes, Muhammad Ali was the float, like a butterfly sting, like a bee and Federer. Federer. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, there is power and certainly plenty of power, particularly if you get even granular, the serve and the forehand, and these were these were significant weapons that he had. I mean, the case could be made that that's the best forehand ever. Maybe, well, but
1: did it? But did it look? It was powerful, but did it look hard? Did, well, that's, it, that's did, what that's- did he did he grit? Did he have to grit his teeth? Was there? you know, was, it didn't look, was hard. there a
2: noise? Was there was a there, grunt? Exactly. No.
1: no. Joy, excellent. Was he, many was he, was he sweating? No. Um, <laughs> I think there's, there is, uh, I don't want to say an obsession, but, but there is something to be said for athletes who make it look easy. I think Steph Curry is kind of a, a Roger Federer parallel in that way, you know, where there's not a lot of strain there and, there's an efficiency. I think efficiency was a big deal. Uh, efficiency of movement, efficiency of uh, finishing points on his own terms, um, shortening points even uh, when necessary. Everything was done in a way that was the the shortest and most productive way possible the most efficient way possible and there's an idealism to that like I as a player fell into that um you know when I was a young player there was a point in time where I was like what do I want my game to be I I want it to be like that um I want to hit aces come to net hit beautiful drop volleys hit four hand winners on my plus one balls. Like I want everything to look perfect. Like I wanted that. And then I, I stopped going for that. I stopped trying to achieve that. Cause I, I didn't think it actually was uh, within my, my abilities to really play that way. And I, um, I started to think about, well, maybe I should figure out ways to, uh, for my opponent to miss before I miss instead of trying to, uh, play the most efficient po- tennis possible.
3: Well, wait, I'm going to take something here. There's no dichotomy between this. And by the way, Roger Federer is tremendously disruptive. And I think I think your vision of that, Gail, those are desired outcomes of winners and aces. I don't think that's what Roger Federer set about to do. I think what he set about to do was, you're right, play the game efficiently, build points in the way based on his skills and his, his vision, his picture of the game that he got from a very young age. And I think, yeah, the effortlessness... Yes, we do like that. And you realize how much hard work it takes to make it look that smooth, how much yep. work you put in to make it that pruned, that efficient. I mean, of course he had to deal with Mercedes, right? I mean, it's like, it is incredible, well chiseled, well crafted, but um, he did. he's a disruptor. I mean, Federer, would, Federer, you know, it's funny. I did an article a few years ago called Winning Ugly Revisited. And I talked to Brad Gilbert about Winning Ugly. I said, I want to talk to you, Brad, about this guy. He Sometimes he chips his foreign returns. He slices his backhand. He he serves pretty well, but not as fast as a lot of the other guys. He says, yeah, I know who you're talking about. That's Roger. Winning Ugly Pretty. (laughs) Winning Ugly. You know, the short slice backhand, the wide slice serve, the occasional. I mean, he kind of ditched at a certain point the the chip charge, the saber, the chip charge return, doing all these little things. He's kind of like, he's kind of like cutting you apart he's kind of carving to ribbons in certain ways. And then boom, the forehand, the forehand can really terminate, but it's very, very attractive.
2: Yeah. It, how many times did you watch a Federer match over the course of his career and go, I had no idea that he had knew how to do that or that he could do it so artfully. Um, i mean i just thought that the forehand was was something into itself i mean who among us hasn't gone out on the court and tried to emulate to the head still looking at the hand down to the frame of exactly what roger was doing with his forehand the the turn of the wrist the finish the follow-through I mean, I, right now, just as an aside, I'm, I'm working on an article about Emma Raducanu and how you know, she's got these blisters um, that she's been dealing with on her hands. And I, I think she's working very hard and, and giving herself blisters, just hitting ball after ball after ball. Did Roger Federer ever have a blister? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just like perfection in every, you know, detail.
3: Always the thing with Federer and we could, if you want, we could talk more about this too. Also I'm um, watching him around tournaments for more than 20 years, always downhill, always this sense, like this whole way he managed the whole energy of being expected to be good. i mean, you know, this first two years he had to work to find his, you know, find it. It took him a little while before he hit the high gear, but never looking rushed and kind of like the way, I mean, I've learned this from tennis lessons. You have more time than you think always have more time than you think, both to hit the ball, to prepare for it. Why, why, why rush when you could just be there? I mean, a little bit makes you think of Wayne Gretzky from hockey, just mm-hmm. his awareness of it, his, his present-mindedness, his comfort. I mean, I've seen this guy in buffet lines just kind of hanging out with his, you know, tray, waiting to get his salad. I mean, you see him at, the, <sighs> at Wimbledon, they have this big media day and you got to go through this whole gauntlet of, of broadcast interviews where a lot of us are asking the same questions and they're different languages. And he's just all, he's completely chilled out with it. And he, he he recognizes that. And that's kind of who he is, regardless of being number one in the world or not. Just this whole downhill. I mean, I've heard stories from people who've, who've had to reshoot something with him when the camera died and he's fine to do it again. I mean, he's just so chill, just finding the the chill. And then, as you said, Amy, the game is not, the game is not going out there and swatting balls on a Sunday morning with your buddy. I mean, the game, I mean, we've seen enough. Uh, the great thing about Federer, I think we're going to, there's enough footage. We're in an era of some great footage, like the child mm-hmm. strokes of genius documentary that John Wertheim worked on and was produced and other ones you show right up. It's not, it's a tough game. you got Nadal, you got Novak, you got all these guys hitting to you. You got to move.
1: Yeah. Um as much as uh we have a a, you know we we try to encapsulate what Roger Feder was about uh from an outsider's perspective, it's always a personal journey, right? So let's get into that a little bit and kind of our experiences with with Roger Feder from uh from a personal standpoint. Um Amy, maybe we start with you. Uh, are there Roger Fetter memories that, that are very specific to you that stick out that perhaps came to mind today when you realized that, that it was, uh, going to be over very quickly?
2: Yeah, there's just briefly two things and one has to do with an on the court accomplishment. And the other is a more personal story. So the, the first thing is that as a fan, not as a professional, but as a fan, Roger was not my favorite earlier in his career. It, to me, it was like he was just winning everything. And, and I always kind of liked the underdog. Well, then um, the script kind of flipped because there were so many calls for Roger's retirement in the mid stages of his career that he became the underdog in some ways, especially in my eyes. Um, so my my most cherished memory of him was when he won the Australian Open in 2017, when, after, like you said, Joel, we saw that um, ebullient video of him coming back to tennis, and I really related to that, and I pulled for him as a fan and, um, he got the job done. He accomplished it in, in thrilling fashion. And, and then that ushered in a whole new era of Roger, um, becoming number one in the world again and, and being dominant. So that was, uh, my most cherished memory. But then just personally, um, I have a friend and colleague named PJ Simmons who founded the tennis Congress, which is, um, really an altruistic organization. And um, it's done a lot for the sport of tennis. So PJ, the founder, was turning 50. And as Tennis Congress, we always had this expression that Tennis Congress was like Switzerland because it was neutral. It didn't give any more credence to one coaching philosophy or area of tennis than any Um, other. And when we would come up against um, conundrums, we would always say, we're Switzerland, we're Switzerland. So PJ was turning 50. And I thought the perfect gift would be a, a flag of Switzerland signed by Roger Federer. Well, we contacted Federer's office, and he doesn't sign flags. Okay, like, it's very... He will only sign a piece of paper that is eight and a half by eleven. He has very strict rules. Otherwise, he just gets inundated, and it's crazy. Well, we hemmed and hawed, and we were like, "It's got to be a flag of Switzerland." You know, it's got to be. Shortly before PJ's birthday, we get a flag of Switzerland in the mail that says, "To PJ, happy happy fiftieth with love, Roger Federer." Wow.
3: <laughs> That's yeah. So for that moment, tennis congress in Switzerland, we're all in alignment.
2: Yes. That's great. Yes.
3: That's great.
1: Joel, do you want to go?
3: Sure. Sure. I mean, and I can flashback. Tell you what, I'll, you guys want to go the more recent or more back when Where should I start? I've got two. The the earlier later. Do do both. I will. But which one first? Or the more first. recent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do the early first. Do the early first. Co- 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 Whoever like better,
3: Sampras, I was at the Sampras Feder match at Wimbledon in 01. and that was and and I and we we knew before. You know, it's funny. I don't like it when people say, "Oh, we knew that was going to be something," because that's kind of reverse engineering. But in this case, when the draw came out, and I remember I was working for uh, TNT covering Wimbledon that year, and I did this little preview for our team, and I said something, you know, silky smooth Swiss to play. The king you know they were on a path to the 16s and that match was incredible we all know about that and i just remember roger in his press conference like he just had the greatest birthday ever and he was 19 and he was just exulting in what it had meant for him to have kind of you know been the king and that's one of those neat those are those neat things that happen in sports they don't always happen but when the crossing of the generations, is the only time they met and that was neat and then you mm-hmm. fast forward 17 years every year i would take a um Take a flight SFO to London, get off in London. I get okay. This is a Thursday morning. Go to my housing. I'm I go go to Wimbledon. Kind of set up my workspace and kind of tired. And then I saw there he was practicing on Court 14. It's Roger's practicing with uh, Yuri Vesely, and there are like 10 of us watching him practice. 10. Just why? And I watched him practice many times, but it's something special to watch the holder practice at Wimbledon on the grass just before the tournament starts. And I got to sit next to the BBC commentator, hall of famer, player, historian, kind of one of my heroes, John Barrett. And we sat and watched Federer and he's doing his thing and they're playing points and they're doing these things. And John at the same time is, I'm asking him to compare Federer to other players in history with Fred Perry and Laver and this and that. And he and he's issuing, his, so I'm getting this con- fun commentary from John Barrett. We're watching the points. And then he said, you know, he's simply Roger Federer, you know, and it wasn't like there was just some shot had hit, but just the whole presence of him. So those are the two, those are the two experiences I recall, two vivid experiences. I mean, there are many more, but those are two. Nice. You know? Yeah.
1: So what? what's kind of amazing to me. So, okay. First, I've said this before on the show. Um, and I've tweeted about it also. First match I ever attended was the 2009 U.S. Open final where where Del Potro was the man on that day, not Roger, but still, you know, he was one of the players in my first ever live uh, tennis match. Um, but the the moment that kind of sticks out to me above like these epic matches right you'd think uh like where were you 2019 Wimbledon I remember that I was I was literally in Venice Italy at the only Irish sports pub in the entire city of Venice uh to watch the match right so like you remember these moments where it's big and everyone's talking about it but one of the things that flashed into my mind today and I it really it really is one of you know one of the cherished memories is uh, a first round match at the US Open against Brian Daboul. <laughs> Does that name is that that name should not ring a bell. I would not be surprised. I don't know that he ever made the top 100. Uh, Brian Daboul was an Argentinian lefty player. It was the first round of the US Open. It was not a competitive match. I don't remember what the score was, but I remember one shot and I remember I was sitting with my dad. And I remember the lob went over Roger Federer's head, and he had already hit the, the tweener winner against Novak Djokovic years prior. Um, and you know the crowd in anticipation started to rise. The tweener was coming, and boom, he smacks it. It is a clean winner right in the corner. He probably struck it 85, 90 miles per hour. It was a better tweener than the one he hit against Djokovic. <laughs> And here we are in this very non-competitive first-round U.S. Open match at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And Federer can create a magical moment that has still stuck with me to this day against Brian Boul I remember there was a standing ovation for about two minutes. It was a moment, and I was with my dad, and that was part of it as well. And And we enjoyed that shot together. So the gravitational pull of Roger... Uh, wasn't always, it didn't need to be a major final. It didn't need to be an epic match. He could deliver these moments unto himself. And uh, that was one that uh, that was uh, particularly meaningful that I thought about today.
3: Of many. Yeah. Lots and lots of other memories and lots of other ways of that. I mean, we'll be delving into this more in shows to come about shots and sequences and evolution. I mean, that's the other thing, that's a subplot. I won't belabor it now, but uh, Roger got better. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's inspiring.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. We, we all have the capacity to change, and we know that because we can see what Roger Federer did.
1: A lot of people are going to be asking us about the show, which of course yeah. uh, was was uh, started and, you know, our goal was to uh, discuss and chronicle the careers of Roger Federer, Rafael uh, Nadal and Novak Djokovic uh, as as active players originally. And now that uh, we'll have two active players in the fold and one retired player, I think we should have this conversation, which, by the way, we have not really had off air. I mean, we've talked about it periodically, but we haven't talked about it today. Uh, so, I mean, Joel, I, I know that you feel like a, a player who stops playing never goes away as a discussion point.
3: Well, yes, but it's interesting. Wow. It's interesting. Look at this. We're having like a business meeting on the air. I like that. <laughs> and so I think, For example, I think here we can actually engage in some candor to the whole audience. Three was never them. Three is us. <laughs> so we're going to, I guess we're going to see. Yeah. I mean, Federer's a, it'll is a discussion point, but obviously we need to kind of have some thoughts about how that, how that continues and, and what we wish to talk about and how, you know, things evolve with Novak and, and Rafa and et cetera. Also it kind of makes me think of oh, is Roger, is he just going to vanish? What's he got? What else is he going to do? You know, it's always interesting with Federer. It's so interesting how someone is so reliable yet creative. Right. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. as Feder's career evolved and he was a very reliable player, well, who would have thought it? Oh, okay, Bigger racket, um, new improved backhands, create the labor cup. So, you know, put on an exhibition in front of fifty five thousand (laughs) people. So who knows? I'm not sure what he's going to go. What's going to happen?
2: Yes. And I think. The world has seen a lot of change lately. You know, the queen passed away, which people have a lot of really complicated feelings about. And, and that was another event that we knew was coming, and yet it was profound when it did happen. Um, I, the answer to are we going to continue the show? Yes. What form will the show take? The answer is I don't know. I'm not sure, and and it's okay not to have all the answers right on this day that Roger Federer announced his retirement, but one thing I do know, we want to celebrate this moment, and we want to give Federer his due, and and the Federer fans and, and all the things that they saw in him, we want to celebrate this moment, so we're going to do that right now, and then what comes in the next few weeks and months, we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much more to discuss. And in terms of the show, I was going to use the exact same phrase. We'll figure it out. Um, and, and yeah, there are three of us, which is convenient, right, Joel? So That's right. That was
2: the point, of course. That's what we <laughs> meant all along. All along. That's right. That's the plot
3: device. Yeah, they were just, yeah. the, they were just the, the, the MacGuffin. They were just the path on the way. Yeah, it's, we're the three. Now it can be revealed.
1: <laughs> what is Roger Federer gonna do moving forward? Uh, how has he influenced uh, the game in terms of what the future of tennis looks like? Uh, you know, what what do some of his biggest and most important matches uh, teach us and tell us? And, and you know, what can we revisit about those things? Again, uh, lots more to come, plenty more to discuss. Uh, but for now, that'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and review on Apple. And we will see you next time. Oh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. And we will see you next time on the next episode of Three.